three, two, one. Twenty nineteen is in our rear view mirror. And every single one of you new members of the running community are staring down 2020 and feeling real cocky confident because this is going to be your year. It's January, and if you're in the United States, that means it's a little chilly. But when it's cold out, that means it's time to start pounding the pavement because if you don't live in Texas, where it's regularly in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit with a minimum of like, uh, I don't know, 80% humidity in the summer months. Well, let's just say it's a lesser of two evil situation to be running when the air is nippy and biting your face than when it's so thick you can't even breathe. Also, welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast, the podcast for those brand new to running who want to make sure they begin their journey on the road to Gainesville on the right foot. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. the best streamer on the Mixer platform, and I am an NCCA-certified personal trainer who specializes in playing games, making gains, and helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This is the podcast where we cover nutrition, training, running gear, everything you need to know about what it takes to complete your first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. Today, we're doing something a little different. We're going to be doing a remaster, a redo, a re-record of our inaugural episode to both welcome new members of the running community to our slice of the internet and to ensure the audio quality is up to snuff. If you're a long-time listener, then odds are you've heard the bulk of this story before, but it's going to sound way more silky smooth and velvety, and at the end of the day, hey, that's really all that matters. In our first episode, I kick things off with recapping my first race experience, the Walt Disney World Marathon in the year of our gains 2016. Anyone Can Run is designed to be a place where those brand new to running who want to tackle their first race but don't know where to start can jump off from. It is not a soapbox for me to talk about myself. However, whenever someone tries telling me what's what, I want to know exactly who I'm talking to, their credentials, their experience, all that kind of stuff. Additionally, I've always found it useful when people relay their experiences and associated thought processes out so I can use their journey and their lessons learned as a learning opportunity for myself. Learning from others' mistakes is something I've always found very valuable, and that's the primary I don't know what you want to call it, the primary lesson, the primary takeaway that I want you psychomaniac members of the running community to have when I relay my experience. We recap races here sporadically at Anyone Can Run, so my race experience can serve as a real-world example for you. Plus, it kind of shows that I actually do know what I'm talking about, and if you're looking to begin your running journey on what I've affectionately dubbed the road to Gainesville which simply means being healthy and stronger than we were yesterday, more healthy, more strong, more everything than we were yesterday, better than we were yesterday, you've come to the right place. Now let's dive in and recap my first marathon experience, which fostered my love for running, inspired me to get my personal training certification, 
and was chock full of mistakes. Like we just mentioned, my first race was the Walt Disney World 2016 Marathon, because I figured why not go full throttle and have my first race be the most difficult distance I could imagine, a full 26.2 miles. Real cocky confident, I know, and it's not something I'd advise any new runner emulate, but at the time, it was what I did. While I'd always been a relatively fit person up until that point, I'd been lifting weights regularly for about eight years or so, was on the rowing team in college, and would do about 30 minutes of cardio a few times a week, I'd never been much of a runner. The entire concept of running regularly and completing an extended race distance or, you know, long runs regularly always seemed pretty boring to me. I remember watching an episode of How I Met Your Mother, where Barney says something to the effect of, running a marathon is easy. Step one, run. There is no step two. So with that confidence and, uh, I don't know, media logic or media reasoning in my mind, I signed up for my first full marathon with just over four months notice, despite never having run over six miles in my life. When I signed up for that race, I was by no means a runner, so I wasn't exactly sure where to start, where to even begin. The Run Disney website had a nearly 30-week training plan available for beginner runners, so I downloaded that, and since I technically should have been about halfway through it on the day I signed up for the race, I jumped into the plan utilizing the run-walk method meaning I'd run at a comfortable pace for one or two minutes, and then I'd walk for a minute to conserve energy. I had a pair of running shoes I'd picked up for around $50, and I'll never forget the first time I went for a long run, which was the Saturday after I'd signed up for that race. This is a story I've actually sporadically referenced throughout the course of our conversations here at Anyone Can Run, but I was supposed to complete seven miles according to the training plan, so I woke up early, had my coffee, laced up my shoes, and then went for my run, and I planned to use the run-walk method. Let me tell you, it was one of the first lessons running ever gave me. By the time RunKeeper, which is a free GPS running app I've used to track my runs and my mileage for years, and you should absolutely download either RunKeeper or Strava or some other variation of a free running app to track your data when you kick off your journey on the road to Gainesville, but, you know, that's a conversation for another time. But by the time the app told me I'd completed my assigned seven miles, I was completely depleted of energy and limping. My feet and my knees were absolutely killing me. And while I wasn't dehydrated, never before in my life had I ever wholly and completely just run out of energy. Prior to that point, I mean, come on, I'd been tired and I'd been worn out for sure, but never had I ever felt like all the life force and energy had been extracted from my body like I did that day, like I physically could not run anymore. It was like Emperor Palpatine just sucked all the life force straight out of my soul. And needless to say, that's the day I learned I needed shoes designed for distance running, and that it's a pretty good idea to eat before going for a long run. If you don't eat before going for, you know, an extended mileage run, you risk hitting the dreaded quote-unquote wall, where your body is depleted of glycogen, and you've got nothing left in the tank, 
and you feel like you can't go on. My race training cycle for my first marathon was enlightening in a myriad of ways. I learned what I was capable of, what works for me and what doesn't, but there were so many dang things I wish I had known when I first started right out of the gate. I had just under four months to get real comfortable with high mileage. And just so you know, distance running is typically defined as anything over five miles. I knew I needed to improve my running game somehow. But not just the running game, right? You've got to think about everything that a race and distance running encompasses. So I decided to break everything down into a few silos. Nutrition, clothing and or gear, and actual physical training, so running. I read multiple reviews of running shoes from Runner's World and decided to pick up a pair which luckily, keyword there is luckily, worked perfectly for me. I pushed myself to stick to the training plan like my life depended on it. And while I'd always been a relatively healthy eater, I needed to begin incorporating way more carbs than ever before into my diet. When I signed up for the race, like, you know, we just talked about, I was using How I Met Your Mother as the example, like, come on, you just run, it's not that hard. But there were so many little things to consider. How to prevent chafing during long runs. What to eat before and during long runs. Even how was I going to hold my phone and keys during extended training sessions. And my time frame to prepare for the race was so limited, I remember feeling pretty dang overwhelmed. I've always been the kind of person who needs to do things completely on their own. Everything needs to be earned. Nothing can be given. And the last thing I ever want to do is ask for help. So I Googled. I pushed myself to stick to that training plan. I kept my head down, grinded away, and logged a bunch of miles. Those three or four months were absolutely brutal. And I made a lot of mistakes and learned quite a bit. I go to work limping. I remember, man. Because my ankles and my knees were bothering me so much. I would never warm up or use a foam roller. And believe it or not, but for some crazy reason, I always felt like my muscles were tight all the time. It's like that entire period, all I remember was limping and just feeling tight all around everywhere. I'd say the lowest point of the entire race training cycle was the day I uh, quote unquote completed my longest run prior to race day, which was 17 miles. I had planned to complete 20 miles as the training plan had assigned. And fortunately, there's a 10 mile trail smack dab in the middle of the city where I live. So I figured I'd loop it twice and then be done with it, still utilizing the run walk method, of course. Around the 13 mile mark, my calves and my quads got so tight and my knees and my ankles were bothering me so much I physically could not run anymore. Heck, I could barely even walk. Also of note, I didn't have any rideshare app on my phone at the time and I was a solid 4 miles from where I'd parked my car. I remember texting a couple friends and my girlfriend at the time, who was now my lovely wife, and unfortunately, no one could pick me up. So I spent nearly three hours, I kid you not, three hours, I remember texting my cousin when I was doing it, limping back to my car. That 
four-mile sort of limp walk situation was one of the most physically painful experiences of my life. My knees and my ankles were shot and throbbing, and according to Runkeeper, this was four weeks until race day. Little side note, right? I just mentioned that you should download a running or fitness activity log app data source thingy. And one of the benefits of having your activities tracked via app is you can go back and relive all of those painful memories like I'm doing here, which you might think, wow, True Bros, that's torture. But no, 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 no. That was a very vital learning experience for me. We've covered this way more over the course of our conversations here since this first episode went live. But whether you're months deep into a running plan or are brand new, if you aren't using a free running app like RunKeeper or Strava to track your runs, go download one right now. Most sync with apps like the Apple Watch or Garmin Fitness app. So even if you're using you know, a specific fitness tracker or device, do yourself a favor and get all the technology synced up. Back to the day I'll never forget but wish I could, the amount of pain I was in was so severe that over the next four weeks, so the four weeks leading up to the race, I only went running once and I used the elliptical because it's a no-impact cardio machine as my primary means of maintaining conditioning. When we finally made it to the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida and I picked up my race packet, I can tell you right now, I'd only been more nervous a couple times in my life because I wasn't sure if I had what it took physically or mentally to complete that race. In hindsight, I can admit I got no problem confessing that going to the Port Orleans bar the night before the race to watch Yeehaw Bob perform while scarfing down nachos and sipping on multiple hurricanes was not the best decision I've ever made in my life. But what can I say? I was a party animal at the time, and I'm willing to bet most people who have knocked out those 26.2 mile hitters can't say they were still slightly inebriated when they kicked off their first race, so that's an interesting story at the very least. On race day, I started what has become over the years my typical race day routine. I woke up at like 3am to have my pre-race meal and sip on coffee so I could try and use the facilities and get mentally ready for the task in front of me. I listened to music, showered, I don't know why but I always shower before a race and I pretty much spent the entire time thinking what the hell did I just get myself into. When the time came, I slathered on body glide on all the areas prone to chafing. And if you take one thing away, one piece of information from today's episode as a new runner, let it be that you need to go purchase a stick of body glide ASAP. Anyways, I donned my Texas flag shorts, my tights, a tank top. I filled up my water bottles. I rolled out and then stepped outside. And I immediately realized that Florida is just as humid as Texas, so I quickly ditched the tights and then went to catch a shuttle to the starting line. During this ride, the nerves really started to take over. I was on a bus with people in much better shape than me, let's just leave it at that, and all of them were experienced runners, I could kind of glean that from the conversations I was overhearing, and... The task ahead just seemed to get 
more and more insurmountable by the minute. After a really long bus ride, because as you can imagine, traffic can be pretty nasty at the Walt Disney World Resort, I hopped off the bus, went to the restroom like no joke six times because I don't know about y'all, but the last thing I want to do is have to go to the restroom when I start running. And this is as good a place as any to note that run Disney races do not have restrooms right by the start corrals for some inexplicable reason. And as we detailed in our Choosing Your First Race episode, this is my biggest gripe with run Disney races, but, you know, we'll worry about that later. So, I hopped off the bus, went to the restroom, and then got into my corral to wait to cross the start line. I saw people warming up and stretching, and despite never doing that in my training, like I said, I never warmed up, I never foam rode, I never did nothing like that, I went with a little monkey see, monkey do action, and I mimicked them. There's a cardinal rule for runners, which is never, ever try anything new on race day, and of course, you know, I didn't know that at the time for my first race. I also wasn't a certified personal trainer at the time, and I cringed to think what would happen if I tried to do static stretching before a long run today. But that's neither here nor there. When the time came to actually begin the race, despite the sun not being up, I was ready to just run, man. I was ready to just hit the bricks and start rolling. And I remember starting off at a steady pace. Man, those first few miles of that race, just like much of that race, is just laser etched into my memory. I remember that despite deciding to stick to one minute run walking, like the ratio I had been kind of doing throughout my training, I ended up running the first three miles of that race continuously, which is another thing I'd never done during my training. I had never ran continuously i had always done one mile on or one minute on one minute off and if you're a long time listener or you're planning to stick around you're going to learn real quick you always stick to what brought you to the dance on race day and during my first race i did not do that at all i'm going to play the the blame game and blame it on the goose from the night before and also my sheer inexperience and education as both a runner and personal trainer at the time. So that's probably why I did all that. Something worth mentioning is why I picked Run Disney for my first race, which is the reason, to this day, I still recommend any runner looking to tackle their first half or full marathon at least consider Run Disney. I knew that I would be running through the entire Walt Disney World Resort, meaning through all four theme parks, and I'd read a few blog posts stating there were various forms of entertainment, including character photo ops and marching bands scattered throughout the course. This means that as a runner, you'll have a mental distraction for portions of the race, which is a godsend if you are ill-prepared like I was, but very useful for really any runner tackling their first race. Even as this episode drops, I'm actually at the Walt Disney World Resort, and if you check out the gram or the Twitter, odds are the wife and I just knocked out that dopey challenge hitter, and if you don't know what that is, it's four races in four days. We're talking a 5k, 10k, half and full marathon, and if we didn't finish it for some reason, I mean, odds are we still would have posted about it. (laughs) 
During my first marathon, however, things went solid until around the 13.1 mile mark, so around halfway through, when my legs were starting to get tight and I knew my right calf was on the cusp of cramping up. When I had that especially painful experience during my training where I limped to the end of my 17-mile quote-unquote run, I ignored that sort of tensing up in my calf, which ultimately led to me being in tremendous pain. When that feeling started to creep up during the race, however, luckily I'd learned my dang lesson and I started walking. This meant I needed to essentially eliminate the running portions of my game plan if I was going to finish the 26.2 miles in the upright position, which should be the goal of anyone looking to complete their first half or full marathon. Just cross the finish line in the upright position. Nothing more, nothing less. When I got to the ESPN Wide World of Sports section, I'll never forget, right around mile marker 17, I mentally caved. I called my girlfriend, and I had no answer. While I was surrounded by people, I was tackling this race alone. This was how I wanted to do it, right? I'm one of those people who has to earn everything, that has to do everything on their own. And I was alone, and I felt very alone, and I felt like it was time to throw in the towel. I remember seeing Mickey and Goofy in baseball uniforms in the distance on the track after making that call to my girlfriend. And I thought to myself, I could take a photo with them because I hadn't taken any photos up to that point. And I could have it be the stopping point right now. And I could I could get it next time, right? I could finish that marathon next time, right? I had four months to train. I started making all of these excuses in my head. I knew I wasn't ready. I was, why did, why did you sign up for this? What, what are you doing? You can't do this. I started going down this rabbit hole of uh, just making excuses for myself. And that's probably one of the most painful moments of my life, mentally. You know, not obviously, you know, there was physical pain, but it was, I had never just caved before, right? I've always been very aggressive, very tough, very driving forward, right? Maybe you don't see it necessarily outward, but that's how I'm operating in my head. But that moment, I caved, man. And I knew that I didn't want to quit just yet. But I was already going down that path of kind of setting myself up for it. I was in so much physical pain. And looking for someone, right? Because I was making all these excuses in my head and I was just looking for anyone to tell me I could still finish. So I literally broke down and called my mom. That's how bad it was. I wanted to quit so dang bad in my own head, but I didn't really want to, right? So I literally broke down and called my mommy because that's how done I was. I knew I didn't want to quit Like, you know, in the back of my mind, there was still that little ember of a flame burning. But I was broken. I was mentally done. And guess what? She didn't answer either. After making that call, I I could feel the heart start pounding, right? It was like things in my head started to pound too. It was just like I had to come to grips with that question. Are you really going to quit today? Like... It became me facing that, right? Because 
I, I felt like I was kind of looking for somebody to tell me, no, no, you can do it, man. You can do it. And, you know, I would kind of use that as motivation or inspiration or whatever. But this had been happening. Like I had been wrestling with this for, you know, the last four miles, which I was pretty much walking and it hurt. And I was starting to face it. Like, you know what? Maybe no one's going to tell you you can do it. You can't do it. Maybe it's time you just quit. And I remember passing Mickey and Goofy. And as I looked around, I saw an old guy, old man, old bro. Uh, not even, let's not say old, right? Because I feel like that's insulting. Let's say an experienced runner, an experienced human being with a shirt that said on the back, last year, I quit at mile 18. This year, I'm going all the way. And that got me, man. It got me deep. It got me on an emotional, visceral lever, level. I thought, there's got to be a way I can do this because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to live with that, with that disappointment, right? Not from other people. Because the people that knew that I was doing this race, they knew I had no time to train, right? Four months is, is not a lot of time. They knew I wasn't much of a runner, even if I was fit. And you might hear, well, 26.2 miles. And you might think that's not a big deal, but it is. It really is if you're not a runner. And I feel like most non-runners would, would acknowledge that, you know? So the disappointment wasn't necessarily external, but it was with myself. It was you committed to this. You can't let it down. You can't let yourself down, right? Not, not letting a race down. And I was wrestling with it. And... Uh, and I, but seeing that guy, man, it just like, I knew how much that must hurt. You know, maybe they're not as crazy as me. Maybe they're longtime runners, right? I don't know their story, but I knew if I quit, I knew how that would feel to have that disappointment and that regret in the back of my mind. And yeah, I, I know with more time that I would have been able to finish the race. I know that, you know, I was making those excuses at the time. And it's like, yeah, you know, if I had more time, you know, this is all going on in my head. I could finish it. I could do it. I could whatever. But I'd still have that regret of, you know, you signed up for this four months ago when you were at work. And to not reach that goal was something that I just I didn't want to live with that. And I'll never forget. I rounded a corner after seeing that shirt and all this is going through my head. And I saw tons of people cheering me and my fellow runners on. And when these complete strangers saw my ass limping along, they yipped and they yelled and they cheered for Texas. They told me, you can do it. You look great. You're almost there. You know, all that stuff you always hear. And those people I never met and probably will never see again. In that moment, they changed my life forever. It was that specific second where I decided, you know, all those thoughts that I had been wrestling with for the past four miles, all those looking for motivation to keep going, all of those excuses and justifications that I had been making to quit because I kind of wanted to. It was right then where I decided I'm finishing this race and in hindsight, because I've, I've thought about this moment a lot because it was, like I said, my life changed forever in that moment. And 
when I reflect on it, it was like a switch flipped in me that can't be turned off. It's almost like before that moment, I was a lawnmower, right? We, we've all seen those little gas lawnmowers that you pull. And it was like a, I was a lawnmower that had never been used. Like I'd been trying to pull the cord to turn on for years. But that was the second where I finally fired up. So I walked, sometimes briskly, most of the time slowly, and I didn't stop. Every time I passed the medical tent, I got a literal handful of biofreeze and I slathered it over my knees. I popped the, uh, I think it was ibuprofen or whatever it is they have at the medical tent. And I marched forward the best I could. By the time I got to Epcot, which was the last mile or two of the race, I forget. But I knew when I got there that I was going to cross that finish line. Some grandiose, powerful music was pumping through the World Showcase. And I hope, I hope when I run again this year, it's playing again because I want to Shazam it and I want to save it because it's the music that was playing at, uh, you know, during one of the most vital experiences of my life. But, when we, when I was hearing this music and I was feeling inspired because I knew dang well I was on the cusp of victory, I even tried to run again. And, you know, I tried, you know what, we're almost there. Let's, let's throw a little mustard on it. Let's do a few steps. And I did for about 15 seconds before uh, yelling out a profanity that I won't repeat here, but it starts with an S or no, it starts with an F. Actually, it probably starts with multiple things. I, I think it was more than one word. And I remember I scared a couple women in front of me because I was, uh, you know, I yelled that out and I was probably a step away from cramping up and there was no way I was about to let that happen. So if you were those two runners that I scared, I apologize. I take that L. That was me. (laughs) But I was dealing with some stuff. (laughs) After that little fiasco, I uh, limped forward. And I eventually ran across the finish line. I did ran. I did run across it. Granted, I was doing it for about eight seconds, literally just so I could run across it. But I crossed that line with a time of six hours, 10 minutes and 46 seconds. That pivotal juncture in the race. Mile 17 was the second I truly realized that I could do anything provided. And this is, you know, this is the the caveat that I dedicate appropriate time and effort to the craft. Later that year, I earned my NCCA personal training certification. And since then, I've completed some additional races. I've trained clients. I've streamed on Mixer. And, you know, I'm the face of Mixer. I'm the best. I know it. The Mixed Gym members know it. The problem is just like the rest of the world doesn't. But, you know, we'll worry about that later. And I created the podcast for new runners who want to knock out their first race. The 2016 Walt Disney World Marathon changed my life for the better, but I learned so much from the mistakes I made throughout the course of training and on race day. The goal of this podcast, the entire purpose of Anyone Can Run, is to serve as a one-stop shop for runners just starting out who want to tackle their first race and to not have you repeat my missteps. I made so many mistakes over the course of training for that race. And in hindsight, I do not recommend someone who does not consider themselves a runner like I didn't at the time. As, like I said, I typically ran like less than a mile a week. 
sign up for a full marathon with only a few months notice. I also should have gone to a local running store and gotten my feet measured to find the right type of shoe for my foot. As I got really, really lucky, the pair of gel running shoes I ordered fit like a glove. Since that time I ordered my first pair of running shoes, there have been plenty of times I've ordered a pair of shoes that I know aren't the best for my foot type, but I kind of figure, eh, it'll be fine, and that I end up not being able to log more than a couple miles in them because they aren't comfortable. Running isn't complicated at all. Anyone can do it. But once you start getting into distance running, little things that you'd hardly notice otherwise can become glaring issues. And little nuances like your form, what you're wearing, can make all the difference in the world between being comfortable and not crossing the finish line of your first race. Speaking of being comfortable, it took me years to find shirts or tank tops that I was comfortable running in. And I've used the same running tank for my first seven races, all of which were scattered between California, Nevada, and Florida. I absolutely loved that run, one running tank top. I still have it. And when I ran my eighth race, which was a half marathon in my beloved home state of Texas in the middle of March, even my copious amounts of body glide could not protect me from the humidity, which led to chafing and uh, bleeding and a whole lot of bad stuff I don't really want to get into right now. Now, when you get out and you run a few miles, I mean, let's be pragmatic. It doesn't matter too much what you wear. But come race day or when you've got a particularly long run on the calendar, Knowing the difference between everything you've got in your closet and how your body is going to react during the weather that day can and should impact your run significantly. Running when it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit outside and windy is pretty nice, but running when it's 70 degrees out with 80% humidity is a whole other ball game. Weather can and should dictate not only the way you train, but what you're wearing when you go outside. We've dedicated an entire previous episode to running gear, and eventually it'll be edited and remastered and updated with new info, just like our first episode is being done today. Knowing full well I was short on training time for my first race, I pushed myself to stick to my training plan despite being in pain, not just sore, but being in pain, and I paid dearly for that boneheaded effort. Had I taken the foot off the throttle and listened to my body like I did on race day, I may have been able to actually complete the 17 miles without limping and been able to run at least some in the weeks and months leading up to that race. But I bit off way more than I could chew at the time. Your body needs to get accustomed to the rigors of running at both the pace and distance that you're you know, going to tackle, that you're comfortable with. And I didn't do that at all during my first race training cycle. We've covered how to listen to your body in depth in prior episodes. And if I'd ignored the telltale signs of cramping on race day, odds are I would have been forced to throw in the towel. I wouldn't even have had that mental struggle because I would have just collapsed and not been able to go on. Over the years, I wish I had learned that sooner, that how to listen to my body. I wish I had learned that. And actually rested more during the early days because I needed it. But it served as a very useful learning experience. The human body is amazing. It tells you what your physical limits are. But most people aren't acutely aware of just how strong they are or can become. 
finding out what those limits are, how to reach them, and how to train efficiently so you can maintain and or even surpass them takes time. But it's a truly fantastic feeling. And it's one every experienced runner is familiar with. And if you stick with it, it will absolutely be something you can learn as well. One of the best takeaways from a race training cycle and from actually completing that full marathon is you learn so much about yourself, what you're capable of. And that's why I think everybody needs to do a marathon at least once in their life. You get so much out of it. And there's literally no drawback. I mean, yeah, you could get injured, but you could get injured literally when I was coming in to, re- to the closet, a.k.a. the studio right now to record. I banged my tricep on the door frame. So it's like, and I had worked out earlier today, right? So I could have gotten injured working out. Did I know? But I sure as heck did coming into the closet. So, you know, don't let fear dictate what your actions are. Enough talking about my trying to get set up to record the number one podcast for all you new runners. I learned the hard way about eating while training for a race and also on race day. I'm not a certified nutritionist and I'm never going to tell you what you should be eating, but I'll certainly let you know what's worked for me in the past and what I've seen some of my clients use during their own races. I'm a honey stinger hive athlete ambassador. Full disclosure, they don't give me a lot of money, so you know, I don't I don't care that much. But I was using those specific products way before I became even affiliated with them. And when we remaster our running nutrition episode, I'll update it with all the changes I've implemented over the course of the past six months or so. Just because something works for me or has worked for my clients doesn't mean it'll work for you. And I'll always try to provide the justification or the thought process or the reasoning behind why I do something the way I do, what works for me and what doesn't. So you can use this knowledge to make informed decisions which can be applied to your own training. I have found that many beginner runners I've spoken to, either as clients, friends, or family, or people I've met on Mixer, have a bit of a stigma with carbohydrates, right? With carbs. Because, presumably, because of the negative connotation they have with gaining weight. However, If you have no carbs, you're not going to have much energy, which means you probably won't be able to complete a full marathon. And I'm going to tell you right now, just like I said a few minutes ago, that any person who finds this podcast, who wants to learn about running and is looking for a jumping off point, a goal on your bucket list should be to complete a full marathon. We've dedicated previous episodes to eating for a marathon and why you need to complete a full one. But baby, baby, you're going to be hearing way more about that if you stick around or even pop into our archives. We've dedicated an entire previous episode to how to choose your first marathon. But I remember reading an article that said less than 0.5% of the United States population has completed a full 26.2 miles. And I'm here to tell you, if you're driven and willing to put in the work, you can absolutely join that half of a single percent that can proudly refer to themselves as a marathoner. I wanted to quit during my first race. And like I said, at the time... I wasn't sure I was physically or mentally ready for it. And in hindsight, despite finishing and reaching my goal, I was not ready, not even remotely. 
Sure, I got lucky something was literally around the corner that inspired me, and my aggressive personality at the time responded favorably to that moment saying, no, 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 we're not going to quit, we're going to go, we're going to go. But not everyone would mentally respond to that that situation in the same way or in a similar manner. I was physically capable of completing the race as I did it, but my mental preparation was not anywhere near where it is today or even where it needed to be on that day. I was about to say for you eagle-eyed listeners, but that makes no sense. So it's like, uh, I don't know, whatever animal has the best auditory senses out there in the animal kingdom, right? So for you, uh, I don't know, people who hear as well as elephants because they got big ears, I don't know. You'll notice at the top of this episode, I found the entire concept of running extended distances boring. And that's something you're never going to hear me repeat again. I purposely left this line in from our inaugural episode because I didn't want to modify things way too much. However, what I learned from my first race was how immensely difficult it is to have the mental focus and discipline to keep moving forward and being focused on what you're doing when you're feeling drained and defeated. The power of our word choice cannot be trivialized, whether that's something we're verbalizing or how we're thinking about stuff in our head, which I'd argue is more important. And when you write something off as quote unquote boring, you're writing, you're, you're essentially writing it off as not being worth your time or your attention. And you're kind of making it seem like it's too easy when knocking out your first race when you're not adequately prepared is anything but. I've trained clients over the years who run quick miles, man, and sprint 5Ks in less than 18 minutes. And I've trained some who have taken a little longer than I did to complete their first marathon. And that's all fine. We all have different levels of fitness and different goals. We also all run for different reasons. And that's something you can't ever lose sight of. Maybe You want to qualify to make a specific team at school. Maybe you want to look good for your child's wedding. Maybe you want to prove to yourself that you've still got it. Or maybe you're like me and you just want to find out what you're truly capable of. None of that matters though. You run because you do. And that's something every runner can get behind. I'm not saying it doesn't matter like, oh, you don't need to know. No, you need to know while you run. But one reason isn't more valid than the other. It's whatever is personal to you. Whatever you have that personal connection with, that's all that matters. And once you've found that, what's important is never forgetting why you run. I've always told clients and friends that I've met on Mixer or YouTube or whatever, the most important thing you can improve is your mental state. Because once you've mental toughness and true, genuine confidence, you'll be unstoppable. True confidence is steady and fluid, but it's unbreakable. And ain't nothing build confidence like crossing the finish line of a 26.2 mile hitter. No other living soul can harvest that accomplishment or confidence from you once you've attained it and it never fades. It's entirely intrinsic and it can be difficult to describe. But once you have it, once you're confident, baby, you know it. Confidence in yourself and your abilities and the work you've put in will be the reason you complete your first marathon. But this doesn't necessarily mean that you always feel confident. Confidence is a mentality, 
which allows you to push past setbacks, to move forward despite the thoughts and physical manifestations of insecurity permeating your being. And when you're confident, you're, I feel like you're reminded to compete only against yourself. It's not about anybody else. It's not about those people I saw on the bus and their journey to cross that finish line. It's about mine, right? Sometimes you got to be a little selfish. In my personal opinion, one of our most essential episodes is where we discuss how to develop the marathon mindset. Because while the physical benefits of running a race are obvious, right? The positive impact it has on your mental state cannot be trivialized. I absolutely 100% mean it when I say that anyone can run. You don't need fancy equipment or specialized skills developed over years of training to go out and continuously run a mile. All it takes is a pair of shoes, some time out of your day, and a determination to finish. Running is the foundation of most organized sports, and it's the sport that most people can do if they devote the appropriate time and effort. Whether you're running to assist with your training for a specific sport, looking to complete your first race, or just want to improve your overall health and fitness, running is something everyone and anyone can do. You don't have to run six miles every single day to consider yourself a runner. All you've got to do is get out and run regularly. What that looks like from a scheduling perspective is entirely up to you. The road to Gainesville, aka our path towards living a healthy and fit lifestyle, is one no one else can run for you. No one else is going to lift the weight for you, log the miles on your behalf, or do the little airplane and put salads into your mouth instead of burgers. But we can certainly support one another and give each other the motivation to go a few steps further, to push just a little harder, and overall, just be a little better than we were yesterday. That's the goal of anyone can run. Anyone can complete a marathon. Anyone can live healthy and fit. And this podcast is designed to be a one-stop shop for all you new runners looking to tackle your first race. I appreciate you spending some time with me today. And I hope you're seeing what I see. That truly anyone can run. We drop a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast almost every Monday in case you're in need of that Monday motivation. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on the Instagram or the Twitter at Anyone Can Run Pod. As much as I love being the face of Mixer over at Mixer.com slash TrueBros with no E-T-R-U-B-R-O-S, and I'd appreciate it if you go smash and pound that follow button, I don't keep a set schedule. We go live about two or three times a week. And if you want to get involved, you want to talk about running and living healthy and fit with me in real time, do me a solid and go abuse that follow button if you have like six seconds to spare. If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another reach our goal of living a healthy and fit lifestyle. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us reach our goal of dominating the charts. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.